two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. 101.9 High FM, High Chinuch, Rabbi G. We are back, as we do every Monday. We discuss education. How can we be better people? How can we make the world a better place? How can we influence people around us to be better influence, better people, achieve, get what's happening in the educational world, what's happening in the community, outside the community, what's new, what's unique, what's different, what can we learn today in order to be better people and better examples and just improve the world. Today I'm going to do something very unique that I don't think I've ever done before on the show. Until now, Whenever I had a topic that we wanted to discuss, I would approach the person that's the professional that's relevant, bring him on the show, and we would discuss the topic. I got complicated because what happens if you have one person who deals simultaneously, whoa, that was a hard word, simultaneously, whatever, he deals in both two areas in a very, very professional way. And I kind of felt that we need to discuss both topics, even though they are two different completely topics. Um, an amazing person who runs two different practices, one in the term of education, of reading, expressing, and one is in something he calls immunotherapy. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to have one person here and completely two different interviews. That's something I've never done before. We're going to discuss one topic, and then we're going to discuss the other topic. So we're trying something. Let's see how that works. So let's get straight to it. Good afternoon, Stan Letterman. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Hello, uh, Rabbi G. It sounds very intriguing what you're doing. Let's see how we go. <laughs> let's see how it happens. So you're a psychologist, yeah. and we're going to talk about two different areas that you specialized in. The one area, which is one of your practices we're going to start with, is teaching teenagers, adults, underprivileged people, people that have a natural challenge to get to uh, reading, writing, etc. And you teach them that art, people that weren't able to get that in school. Basically, you're saying is everybody could do it. Everybody could read, everybody could write, um, even if it was very challenging when you were in school, even if you didn't have the opportunity. Tell us a bit about how that works. Right, that sounds very nice, I must tell you, but it's not exactly <laughs> what oh, it is. Okay, so what so is let it? me just clarify. Um, what what we do in that aspect of our practice is that we build reading skills. That's not just for people who haven't been able to read at school; it's for people at school, as well as for uh, people at university. Uh, but weren't able to get the skills. Not from necessarily. School. Uh, it may just be that people have not developed their skills effectively. As we go on, I'll explain the reasons for oh, that. Okay. But it's simply either to to develop them or to enhance them. And to be able to read with good comprehension, good retention, um, and sustain comfortably over time when we are reading. So if I can just make a distinction just to start off with, um, there are two pr- uh, aspects to reading. The one is the ability to just take visual symbols and give a sound to it. That's the basics of reading. We call that the fundamentals of reading. In America, they call it reading uh, uh, one, first aspect of reading. Um, and uh, uh, those fundamentals deal with what every um, parent knows about, which is phonic skills and sight vocabulary, simply the ability to take visual symbols and put them together, create words, and then to be able to articulate them and to read them aloud. 
that normally is what's done at school in grade one, grade two, grade three. If a child and moving into grade four, if a child has any difficulty with that, then a remedial teacher is the person who will be able to help, um, and uh, they would go to remedial. Uh, teaching generally up to about nine years old, it generally will also be a one-on-one, and that's where they would build those skills. What we do is we move one step beyond that. That's called reading on or further reading, um, and that's looking at reading fluency. The task of a child growing f- going from grade three to grade four is to be able to read silently at an appropriate rate with good comprehension and good co- and re- good retention. So, in other words, the fluency is that composite of four factors: good the ability to read, to read silently, to read with good comprehension, good retention, and most important, to read at an appropriate rate. Okay. So i got to stop here. So basically you're saying we don't work on the basic function of viewing a symbol and um, pronouncing it. Mm-hmm. We actually work on the uh, reading, uh, advanced reading, yeah. uh, which is a higher level, and divide it into four. We, go, we do have to take, unfortunately, a short ad break. Sure. When we come back, we'll go more into the, the details of how do we advance our reading? How do we get to quicker sure. reading, more effective reading into those details? Anybody who wants any questions, anything you want to ask then about the reading, about the abilities, 34519 is SMS line. 061-895-1019 is the WhatsApp line. A short break and we will be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch We are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion with Sten Letterman, a psychologist who does, has a practice doing reading skills, but not the basic, the advanced reading skills. So let's go a bit into it. You said the advanced skills of reading is divided into four different categories. Well, when we look at reading, we're looking at four factors okay. that define reading fluency. Remember, reading fluency is reading silently which is the way we need to come um, in our reading, because if you read aloud, you're going to be reading at the speed of speech. We think much faster than that, and therefore you're not going to process as effectively as you should. So the, re- the speed of speech is somewhere around 100, 160 words per minute. When you are in grade four, the normative level for a grade four pupil, grade four student, um, is 158 words a minute. Once we go beyond that point, then we're reading um, silently, and with uh, the, the basic idea is to develop fluency. Fluency means that you can read at a good rate, but all the time with good comprehension and good retention, so that the, the ability to read becomes almost transparent, that you can look at what you're reading and you don't have to do work to get the information in. It's just available, just as when you listen. Seeing the symbol and getting and understanding it. Yes, and taking for granted the blending of the symbols together, just being able to access that information at an appropriate rate. So um, we find that... Does that require taking certain words into symbols or... uh, Naturally, or we still will continue looking at each letter individually and combine them? If you did that, you would never get through anything. Um, you have to be able to blend appropriately. And that's why I say the task in grade one, two, and even in grade three is to blend so appropriately that you build a sight vocabulary of words that are immediately recognizable. So that as you see the word, you can read it. Just as you know that when you see your name, you can read it. You don't have to work it out. Um, right. A word that you don't know, let's say it's a complex word, um, like susceptible, for example, or whatever it may be, um, or administration, let's use that as a word, you'd first break it down initially, and you say administration, and then you put it together. That's the blending. As time goes but by... But you still don't break it down by letter. It's no, interesting that you, you did it. You break it down by, by syllable. By syllable. Yeah, yeah, it's also called syllabification. 
So that's, uh, that's what you're doing. But as time goes by, you can do that more and more quickly, and you know that you can be reading material with jargon words that you can pick up those words very quickly. It doesn't take time to do that because you've trained yourself to do that. That's part of the normal early stage of reading. The most important factor in the second stage of reading, the latter part, um, is that you can read at an appropriate rate. If you're reading slower than 160 words a minute, then it's going to take too long to process that reading and therefore becomes tedious and frustrating. So typical examples of a person who may have difficulty in reading is when a person reads and rereads or when a person reads and has to go back, can't remember what, what he's read. Um, or he loses concentration when he reads. Um, his eyes might get tired because his eyes may be jumping backwards and forwards and therefore ex- uh, using too much effort, working too hard to get that information. Basically, you're saying when reading is a mission. It's then, not a natural skill. It's, that's You've right. got to work to read, and then it's that's tiring right. and frustrating. When it's tedious and it's, and it's not transparent. You know, when you read, you read transparently. You see the word. You read it without thinking about it. it just, it's, it's as easy as listening to something. You don't have to think about each word. Uh, right. Just as if you're running. Listening is not such an easy skill in our generation. but <laughs> For many people, it's yeah. difficult. And for many people, the, the, what we find is that a visual, um, the visual skills in reading very often are poor. Visual tracking is what we call it. It's not visual acuity, which is the ability to, to see accurately, which is a static measure where you look at something and you can see it, and either you're short-sighted or long-sighted, or your, your visual is fine. This is called visual tracking. This is the way your eye moves from left to right. Many, many people today, something like in our uh, testing, we've tested many of the schools, we find something like 40% of the learners are, are reading slower than they should do because of visual tracking problems. It's very easy to identify, and it's very easy to correct it. But if it's 40%, then maybe it's not a problem. Maybe. I would say if we reach an average that half the majority does one thing and the other the other half does something else, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's just that's how we function these days. Mm, in other words, that's the norm. But that's not right. the case. The, the reason is because reading in that kind of way doesn't make reading accessible, and therefore people don't read. And certainly they don't read for pleasure. So reading is tedious, and therefore it's, it's something that most people avoid when they're reading in that kind of way. I'll give you some of the symptoms. When I, I, I just want to ask about that because we know we say to people that don't read for pleasure are not um, uh, in society, in the higher class or whatever it is. But are we living in a world that people do need to read for pleasure? I mean, there's so many alternatives for pleasure. Unfortunately, we have the phones and videos and things that... Is reading a factor that we need to have? Yes. You see, that's a choice. Um, You may have many alternatives, but the issue is that you should be be able to read um, effectively, even if you choose to do something different. But you should be able to read. It's not that you're not reading because you can't read efficiently. It doesn't mean you can't read. You can access information, but it's too slow. The result is also when a person's reading that way, their eyes get tight, they lose concentration, they don't study effectively, they find that they read something, they don't retain it. So there are many factors. Often you'll find that the eyes are watering, the eyes get tired, etc. So there are many, many factors that contribute to that and many factors that are associated with it. But the result is that people then don't read. And the important point about reading is that if you want to um, understand something at, in, in depth, Effectively, you have to be able to read effectively. And um, if you just read superficially, just quickly, just glance through it, you're not going to reach the depth. And therefore, um, the analytic skills and the ability to go 
deeper is going to be something that's compromised that so, way. So, so would you say that if somebody doesn't enjoy reading, it's because there's a challenge in his reading, or could it be somebody who reads perfectly fine and just doesn't enjoy it? Can be. A person could read perfectly well and just be bored by what he's reading. There's no literature. Do that we you're see finding. that? Or, or because reading, when you read a story, you read something, then you have to put a lot of imagination and nice and your figure into it. So, mm-hmm. I would say maybe it's just. Uh, if you, if it's a struggle, then you don't enjoy it. But otherwise, since you bring your own life into the story, then normally you would enjoy it always. Yes, many that? people, for example, will say they get bored when they read. But the reason for it when we look more deeply is because, obviously, if the subject matter that they're reading is, is not interesting intrinsically, then they will get bored. But uh, generally speaking, they get bored on everything. It's not just the subject matter that's problematic. It's the, it's the process of accessing that information. If that's tedious, then the amount of work that you have to do to access that information is going to not be worth the effort. And that's when you'll say, no, it's boring. I don't want to do that. Okay. We want to know that a person can read perfectly well and access everything effectively, and then they can make the choice whether to read this or to read that or to do something else. Okay. Okay. So the first factor you said is about reading silently and with your eyes just getting the symbol. Yes. What would be the next factor? Well, that's, that's the major factor, but um, when you read silently, the, the, of course, the, the factors that go with that, the purpose of reading is to understand what you're reading. Right. So you need to have proper comprehension and also to retain that which you're reading and to be able to extrapolate from that to understand further things, in other words, to develop principles and to apply those principles. So what do you want to do? You want to get the main point of what you're reading. You want to be able to as- establish if it's a fact, if it's an opinion, if you can draw analogies. In other words, all the cognitive skills that you use when you read to analyze that material, all those skills need to be in place, analysis, synthesis, etc. So if a person, if the process of reading is transparent, it's easy, then those cognitive skills are naturally developed, and then the reading becomes a, a, a method for accessing information effectively. Okay. So when a, somebody comes to you and you assess and you do see a challenge there, yeah. either with their eyes or with the way they, they understand or the symbolizing, what are the tools that we have to actually help people get okay, into so reading? Okay, so let's just have a look as a starting point. The first thing, of course, is that you want to do an assessment to be able to say what could be wrong. If a person isn't reading, they don't like reading, what's the reason for it? So therefore we go through a series, systematic series of, of tests where we can establish, number one, can you read? So we first look at the ability to read aloud just to check that their reading is accurate and appropriate. That they can take a symbol and pronounce it. That's right. And we okay. want to know what level, what normative level do you achieve with this? Is it appropriate to what the level of complexity that you have to read, appropriate okay. to your level, number one. Number two, we want to establish, obviously, along with that, we want to look at spelling because spelling is just the opposite of reading. If reading is giving visual symbols a sound, then spelling is taking the sound and finding the visual the symbol. symbol. So we want to see, is there any confusion in that phonic dimension and then be able to rule it out. But it's not the same. I mean, a lot of people can read, but it's very hard for them to write properly. Uh, writing is a different matter to spelling. Writing is the ability no, to, to organize. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know if you want to have a nightmare, then you can look at social media. Yeah. Like these people can read, but the way you see spelling going on over there, yeah. it's, uh, I don't even have a word for it probably. Well, very but often that comes from lack of, of reading. Because if, if, you know, when you, if a person's a reader, they'll immediately set, be able to sense if a word looks wrong. Because the sight vocabulary is affected and they can see that they're reading in, that the spelling is, is, is incorrect. So we look at spelling at this point. I don't want to discuss spelling so much in a major way because it's an, it's an indicant. It's like the okay. top of an iceberg. And if reading is well established, 
then very often spelling will be established as well because in the early years, that's, that's where they're learning that's to spell. That's what they do. Okay. But much more important, that's not a cognitive skill. It's just the ability to express it more effectively and to write it more effectively. What is more important is to see um, how do they deal with that information conceptually firstly. So the next point you need to establish is what about their vocabulary? Are they understanding what the words mean? Never mind that they can read the words, but can you understand what the word means? And therefore, you need to be able to have an appropriate vocabulary. So we look at two aspects of vocabulary. The first is simply we give them one word and three meanings, choose the correct meaning. And, okay. and that will be graded uh, across the level. So it'll go from grade two, three, four, five, all the way to grade 12. So we can understand what level of vocabulary are they functioning with when it's a choice out of various alternatives. Okay. And the second is called a receptive vocabulary. Receptive vocabulary is basically uh, the way we test it is that we will show them four pictures and say a word, and they will then choose which is the word that corresponds to the picture. To the picture. Um, so we want to get an, ass- a, 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 an assessment of their vocabulary. Then we need to look at their comprehension skills. There we look at the comprehension in terms of the main idea, retention of that information, and uh, fact and opinion. So we want to see, do you remember what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And we look at, at various cognitive skills that go with that, especially analogies, the ability to draw out principles and to understand uh, how it applies. Right. And, then we want, and then we want to look later, when they read a passage, we're going to look at two kinds of areas. The one is to read a passage which is a long passage, and we want to see what is the rate of their reading. Are they reading at an appropriate rate? Um, and are they comprehending appropriately? And then we also look at what we call um, a, a visograph um, assessment, which looks at the visual tracking of the eyes. It's, it's a, they wear a pair of goggles, and it actually follows the tracking of the eyes. So you can see the eyes are jumping, etc., and we get normative levels for that. Once we have a picture, we have a composite of all of those factors. We also look at listening skills, auditory memory, auditory discrimination, just to see how is information coming in and being processed. Then we can get a scatter of those scores and say, here are the strengths, these are the weaker areas, this is what needs to be done in order to correct it. We need to look at the potential that the person has um, and then to develop that potential. In the most so it sounds like way. a very long process of evaluation. Uh, it takes about two hours. The but, whole thing? Yes. Um, but okay. it's very, very important because that's the way that you can see where are the skills, which are the ones that are developed appropriately, and which are the ones that need to be developed. And then you start working on each one individually. And then and we work, yes, then we work with material that will be at the level of vocabulary comp- competence. We'll work at the level that their reading is competent. So in other words, it's a very systematically structured process. We start where they, where they are competent. We move step by step systematically to consolidate and to extend those skills. So we build vocabulary, we build the actual tracking of the reading, and we build the comprehension skills. Okay. So a parent that's listening right now and says, you know, I don't think my child has a real challenge, I'd say, with reading, yeah. but I, I just want to see them reading more. I want to see them more interested. What are the tools we can give them to kind of um, enhance reading, kind of get them more involved, more interested, more connected? Right. So let's just start off by saying, what are the symptoms that the parent will be looking at? Yes, the child reads. Do they read for pleasure? Do they enjoy reading? Or is reading really a task that they only do because they have to do it? Number one, if the child, we want to ask a few questions just to clarify. So the first question is, does your child avoid reading? Um, Does he not read unless he has to? Does he read too slowly? 
you find okay. that he's going word by word. Um, does he read um, I think fast? the question about does your child avoid reading it has to change from child to child because some ch- children avoid things they don't like. Some children do it and they don't like it. Yes. And the same – but they don't avoid missions. So you kind of need to know your child and see right, absolutely. what the meaning of the avoiding means. Correct. But what you want to know is um, are they avoiding reading because they don't like reading? Is there something intrinsic about it or just they'd rather be playing outside so that's why they're avoiding it? Or they're not avoiding it but they don't like it. They just do it because they do – your child is a kind of child that does what he's supposed to. Yes, but the point is that reading gives information. So any curious child would want to be able to would access that information to do it. If you see there's a pattern that they avoid accessing information in that way, then there is a, a, a likelihood that there's a problem in that area. Unless they feel like they can get more information from Google, let's say. There too, you have to read. Um, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay. To access information mostly, and especially at a deeper level, you have to access information through reading. Okay. Um, then you want to know, does he read fast but lose track and have to reread? Um, does he get headaches or sore eyes when he reads? That's very telling. Uh, does the child lose concentration when he reads? Now, of course, a person may have a concentration problem, but if, you're, if your concentration is poor and you read too slowly, then you can see that, that one's going to exacerbate the other. Right. Um, does he find it difficult to read and to comprehend his reading? Maybe he'll shoot through it, but he didn't get any detail um, that he understood effectively. Um, does he remember very little of what he's reading, and does he underachieve um, relative to his potential? Uh, does he study ineffectively? So these are, the, these are some of the symptoms that will suggest that we should look a little bit more carefully. If a person um, reads um, but doesn't read as much as they could read, um, and you feel that they are reading, they're reading perfectly well, but you want to extend the reading, then of course you can do that too, because then you're using material which is systematically So how do you graded. do that? Um, so what you do is that um, once you've done the assessment, then you will use we, – what we do is we use a program of material which is systematically graded um, based on years of research. We've been doing this since 1986, um, but the research goes back 80 years, which is a little bit older than we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, it, it's, it's based on very effective research. And today, whereas previously we used to do this in a, in a laboratory where we had reading materials, uh, a whole series of materials and a guided reader <laughs> – to build up the, 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 the rate of reading. Now we do this online. We have a web-based program, and the program is a very good program. It's used in America. It's developed in America. In 2016, for example, a million children went through this. Well, not actually children. Uh, people went through it, uh, adults as well. Okay. Um, and um, and uh, the program is very successful, works very effectively, and, and you know they go into that program, and they move step by step over a year. So they do a certain amount per week. They're able to do it at home. And they will get through that material, uh, and as they get through it, the, the program then assesses what's the next level that they have to go on to, what's the next kind of material they have to go. The program will see, are they making mistakes in, com- in main idea uh, aspects? So it will give them more material to develop the main idea. Are they making mistakes in various others? So it's very much based on error analysis, and it's based on um, uh, immediate feedback from wh- what the person has done. And the person then gets uh, a score and gets immediate um, uh, recognition of what they have done up to there. So that's uh, what is the website called? Um, it's, uh, our website is called Reading Power. Um, we used to be called Athel Desmond Study Center. I think a lot of people know that, um, that name. Um, we've called it Reading Power now, and, uh, and that's, that's, the, uh, that's where they go in for that. Um, and they would contact me, and we would set up an appointment so to take it from there. So how can they contact you? Only through the website? No. They Reading can, Power can, or? They can phone me. I can give a number if you want me to give a number. 
you, you want to give an email address or? I'll num- give you both. Give, so okay. my number is 082-377-3604. I'll repeat it in a moment. And the website is Liederman, spelled L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, Liederman at NetActive, N-E-T-A-C-T-I-V-E, dot C-O dot Z-A. And the number again, 082-082-377-3604. Okay. My name we, is Stan Liederman. Stan Liederman. We actually finished the interview properly because we're going to take a short break. And when we come back from the break, sure. we're going to have a new interview with a new Stan Liederman. And uh-huh. we're going to be discussing immunotherapy, which is completely a different topic, but com- Fascinating and the uh, unbelievable way. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinochtar Beji. We'll be right back. Two hours every weekday covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinochtar Beji. We are back. And now, a new interview. I'm sitting here with Stan Litterman and want to discuss a concept that I've heard the first time from him, a kind of program that he put together. Uh, usually it's an interview. I ask questions and kind of lead the conversation. But when I heard this immunotherapy that he's put together, it actually blew my mind. And I think I'm going to let him start. Stan, thank you for being here again. And immunotherapy. Tell us, lead us, what is it about? Right. Well, thanks so much. Um, you know, we live in a world of stress. We all know that. What is stress <laughs> really about? We have so many stressors, so many things that, that worry us, and most of them come because we worry about what's going to be. Um, okay. Most of us don't live in the present. You know, there are three stages you can live in. You can live in the past, you can right. live in the present, you can live in the future. Many people who live in the past have difficulty because they either live in nostalgia Wonderful things, if only we could be back in that period of time and they can't really bring themselves into the present, which is where we really are. Okay. Um, or we live with um, negativity, you know, things that happened where we're angry, where we think back to things that happened we, and, it, and it gets in the way. It can't function properly because we're filled with, with negativity relating to things that have happened to us. So we can't live in the present effectively. Some people live in the future. Um, in the future in the sense of worrying what will happen tomorrow. It's all very nice now, but what will happen if this happens or that happens? And so the future becomes something that's infused with worry. Um, because in the way they kind of think tomorrow is going to be worse. They don't think tomorrow is going to be better. That's right. Because, okay, I've got what I've got today, but what happens if I lose it? What happens if it right. disappears? Um, and so most people don't really live in the present. They live captured in the past on the one hand and fearful of the future. Um, or they live in fantasy. You know, when I win the lottery, then everything will be fantastic. Exactly. So, um, actually, with the changes that South Africa has gone through, I actually, a lot of people that come to my offices, I see that they are living in the past or wishing for the past and scared of the future. Yes. Kind of Those both before combined. The win wees. The win <laughs> yeah. we were in that situation was so good. So, the point of the matter is, of course, you have to learn from the past. You can't cut away the past, you can't slice it away. But you have to learn from it and move forward. You can't not plan for the future. You have to plan for it and, and, and understand what to do. But where we really do live is in the present, and therefore we have to maximize that present and live in it in a way with, we'll call it in Hebrew, menucha, with, with a sense of tranquility, sense of not worrying. Again, we are, we are planning for it. We're doing that which is necessary. And, and one point that I do want to make when we talk about this kind of uh, area is, 
you know, we're not being fatalistic when you look in the future and just say, oh, well, everything will be fine. We're not saying that. We're saying that there are appropriate things that have to be done, um, and we have to plan for those things. If we have a chance, we'll talk about how one defines those things. But the real point is... We're planning the future today, which means we're living today as today. And part of today is to plan the future. We're not living in the future. That's right. So in other words, I've got to say, look, um, I've got to plan for what happens at this time of the year, what, what, what we have to do there. All the various things that are appropriate to plan for, you have to plan for. Um, but we can't be stuck in that either. We have to be living in the present in a meaningful way. So when we live in the present, there are a couple of almost axioms that you have to take and understand very clearly from a Jewish point of view, from a Torah point of view. The first one that we will understand is there is a, a creator in this world. If there's a creation, there's got to be a creator. You can't have a creation without a creator. So we have to understand there is a creator. That's the okay. first point. That creator, we understand, is Hashem, number one. Number two, we have to understand that Hashem is involved in this world all the time. See, sometimes we have this concept that's, that says Hashem made the world. Yes, of course there's a creator. He made he the world. He moved on to the next And he project. moved on. He went to Bermuda and had a holiday and he's gone. Um, the reality is we've got to know that Hashem is concerned with us and living with us every moment of the day. Now, that's very difficult because for most people we don't see it. We don't see it not because it isn't there, but because we haven't tuned ourselves. We haven't uh, shaped our ability to see. Um, and when we do see something that shows that there's something beyond what we would expect, in other words, something that's happening over here that can't just be explained away, uh, then we forget it. Um, so we yeah. go through that and we don't see that, what we call hashkocha, um, the, the, the presence of Hashem in our lives all the time. What we have to understand is Hashem loves us. And he wants the best for us. He's not punitive. He doesn't want to make things difficult for us. He okay. wants us to be able to do that which we're supposed to do. So what are we supposed to do? Well, what, what so basically we, you're saying there is a creator, somebody's running it, yeah. and he wants the best for us. That's right. It's not like the model of the, the watchmaker who wound up the watch and then disappeared. Right. He's in this world all the time with us all the time. Yeah, I don't know if half our <laughs> listeners understand that example at 2019 <laughs> anymore, but... Okay, so uh, then the, 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 the model it's not like was... The, the guy who made the car and moved on or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the watchmaker, <laughs> okay. the idea, the philosophical yeah. idea is that the person um, wound up the watch. And it started ticking, and now it ticks forever, and he disappeared. He's not involved any longer. So we're saying Hashem did not create the world and disappear. He created a world with all the beauty and all the amazing harmony in this world for a purpose, and that he's involved in that in every moment of the day he's here. Every moment of the day, every moment of the night, he never disappears. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always right. here. Um, so how do we implement that in our lives? Just before we get to that, I want to get to the third point, then we'll come okay. back to your question. So the third point is I've got to understand that if Hashem is here, there's a purpose. And the purpose is I've got to do something that Hashem wants me to do. So we'll come back to that as well. Okay, yeah. So yeah, we'll get back. So one second. So we said just before we take a ad break that we need to, Hashem created the world. God created the world is yeah. a point number one. Number two, he is running the world currently. Right. And number three, there is a purpose. There's a reason why it's all happening. That's right. Okay. Short ad break. And when we'll be back, we'll see how to implement and how it affects us on our lives. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. We are back for the last point of uh, part of our show. Here in sh- studio with Sten Letterman, who put together a program called Immunotherapy. And right before the break, we spoke about the three um, concepts of the uh, that are important to realize and to live. A, Hashem created the world and was running it properly. B, 
He's and for the best, right? He's running it. In, he's running the world for our benefit and Correct. for the best. B is that um, he want no. B is that he wants the best for us, and three is that everything has a purpose. Right. Right. Okay. Now let's kind of see how we can use it for our lives and implement it into our okay. lives. Okay. So um, we don't have much time. So what I want to do is right. I'm going to talk reasonably fast. Okay. And, and try to make the points fairly. Good. We practiced earlier how many words we can get in a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So what we've said is that. Um, there is a creator. That creator is involved in this world and that everything that he's made in this world has a purpose and therefore we who are created by that creator also have a purpose, have a purpose. and that everything that happens to us is ultimately for the good. And I stress the word ultimately because things can happen which don't feel like they're for the good, but that uh, the end point is that ultimately they are for the good. What does ultimately mean when we say ultimately for the good? It means that it's for the purpose that your soul was put into this world in order to achieve that particular purpose. Whatever its destiny is to achieve, that's what the ultimate purpose is. Even if the road to that point may sometimes be a little bit rocky and not so easy, but we have to understand that Cautious is... potholes. Little potholes, yes, sometimes yeah, bigger okay. potholes. <laughs> but the reality is that um, it's always there in order for us to be able to achieve that which Hashem put us in this world for. So... Okay. Um, because of lack of time, we've got four minutes, so because of the four minutes... Three minutes. Craig says three. Okay. We have a boss. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> okay. I want to, I just want to mention that there are three psukim that we have to focus on. The first psuk is Hashem Huelukim Enon Bador. It says Hashem Huelukim, Hashem is God. Enon Bador, there's nothing but Hashem. So the first point to understand is Hashem, that's the middle of Rachamim, of kindness, of goodness. Huelukim, he is also Din. Also, gvura, severity, that which contains us, which allows us to be able to work with structure. So we see that point. Hashem is both Rachamim and Din. Both are two sides of the same coin. So, for example, we say, Hashem Hashem Echad. It's all one. We have to meditate on that and develop that a deep understanding that what sometimes looks like severity or difficulty, in actual fact, is also rachamim. It's also a, a point of, of it's kindness. It's for the best for us. It's for the best so that we can be able to grow. The second right. point is it's all very nice to know that intellectually, but how do we bring that down into our hearts? So the second pasuk that I'd like to draw there is, which means, which means that basically that thank Hashem and because um, everything is good because his chesed, um, his merits is, are the best. Yeah. And, and so you could think of it as a sine wave. The sine wave undulates up and down and up and down. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it feels not so good. But the central core about which everything oscillates is kilo oilam chasto. All the time it's good. That's what I have to integrate and understand. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, how we do that, we'll talk at it another time. And the final point is to understand that if I understand everything comes from Hashem and all that comes from Hashem is ultimately for the good and that is involved with me all the time because he loves me and he wants to contain me and hold me like a shepherd holds the sheep, as it says in, in um Tehillim Chafkimol, Tehillim 23, it says, Hashem roi lo echzar. Hashem is my shepherd. He contains me. He holds me. Lo echzar. I'll, I'll lack everything. nothing. Yeah. Therefore, it's a syllogism. If I know all comes from Hashem and all that comes from Hashem is ultimately for the good, what are you worried about? Then you can let go and come to the third posse, which is, Ivdu es Hashem besimcha. Serve Hashem 
with joy, with simcha, because you know Hashem put you here for a purpose. The purpose is good, and the end point is in order to be able to achieve that purpose. Hashem didn't create a world in order to be negative or, or, or heavy to us. He loves us, and he wants the best for us. That's what we have to understand, and how we work that through is part of the process that we would do. So I'm going to have to ask you to share. On a practical level, yeah. you say... What do you do in order to integrate that, to start your day every morning that way? Well, I think that one has to do what we call his boidedus. In other words, we have to connect to Hashem and relate to Hashem and, and, and almost meditate to Hashem. Thank Him for what He's given you. Focus on the things that are good. Have gratitude, number one. Number two, recognize where you've done wrong. Don't feel bad. Don't berate yourself, but recognize it so that you don't do it again or that at least you're in, uh, uh, with awareness of that. And the third point is then focus on where you want to grow and how, where you want to go with that. And how that. do you want to And how to that. move forward. Well, we could probably use so much more time to talk about it, but this show, as any other great show, has come to an end. Stan Letterman, if anybody wants to be in touch with you, um, the best thing is to phone me. My number is 082-377-3604. Again, 082-377-3604. Thank you very much. Okay, so another show has come to an end. This was Stan Letterman today, and we will be back, please God, next week, 2 to 3, Chai FM, Chai Chinuch G. Back to see how we can improve ourselves, improve the world, and just end off with thank you to Craig for controlling and running everything. Keep well, see you, and hear from you next week.